Hey, Emma, how are you today? I'm good, thank you. And yourself? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for uh, putting some time aside to chat today. I think uh, we'll have a, this will be an interesting perspective on everything that's going on as well, given your kind of background and the organization you're with. Um, yeah, so before we begin, maybe you can just do a quick introduction, who you are, who the Textile Museum is, uh, and we'll go from there. Sure. So Emma Quinn, the Executive Director of the Textile Museum of Canada. Uh, I've been in this role with the museum for three years. The Textile Museum is a national Canadian museum. Um, you know, we were about the, the research, the collection of uh, textiles. We have a collection of over 15,000 objects, wow. so I mean 2,000 years and 200 countries. Wow. Um, but we're very much about really contemporary conversations that are happening as well. Um, we work with contemporary artists, uh, uh, educators and programmers as well. So really engaged um, in relevant issues and you know, right now dealing with the issues that, of, of today and how we tell stories through textiles. Yeah, that's interesting as well. Um, yeah, I, I'm just kind of, I've been looking forward to chatting with you about this as well because I think we've talked to a lot of organizations and being a public space, you obviously are in the kind of sector that's probably impacted the most by physical distancing. So what has that kind of experience been like for you so far? Well, the museum uh, had to close publicly back in March, as mm -hmm. so many other places did. Um, you know, it's, it's amazing how fast the impacts are felt when you're a public-facing institution, for sure. We were gearing up for our large annual fundraiser. Um, it was to happen the week after we closed. So, um, you know, two year, I think, let's say two, three weeks prior to the end of our fiscal year and suddenly the impacts on the organization were in excess of $50,000, $60,000. So, um, you know, that's, that's a hard reality to face. And I think so many other um, places are, are experiencing that as well. But um, yeah, I mean, immediately all the staff started working remotely. Uh, those financial issues forced the layoff of 50% of our workforce. Yeah. And the museum has been closed since. So, um, yeah, that's a pretty, pretty hard impact. Um, it's going to be very different, of course, when we reopen. So mm -hmm. I think your question was around like social distancing, and I don't think we really understood or felt how we have to operate in social distancing yet, but we've certainly started to contemplate what that's going to look like. We have a, a, a museum with a really small entryway. We've mapped it out under the calculations and we can have three people in our entry lobby. We can have one person in our elevator. Wow. We can have one person passing on the stairwells at a time, right? So how yeah. do you moderate that flow of people um, under those space constraints? That's so interesting. I didn't even think about that. I was thinking about um, <laughs> kind of like the, and I'm sure a lot of organizations in your industry are contemplating the, the digital presence as well. And I know you guys have been doing some really interesting work. Mm -hmm. in that space and some interesting thinking ahead of this which is which is great um but yeah i didn't even think about the physical design of a space and i've been having some really interesting conversations with people that are studying what the effects of of this whole experience will be on physical design because 
there's so many things happening right now that are kind of DIY and people are making do under the right guidelines, but how do you start to create permanent um, fixtures and permanent uh, design choices within the physical construction of a building or, or a space or an office? Absolutely. So that, that's a super interesting challenge. Do you think that you're like, how do you even go about doing that? Like, are you, do you have a, well, you know, it's so, so it's interesting. We can go back to what we're doing digitally, but we were just set to open a new exhibition. Um, when we were closed, we were actually in the phase of deinstalling, ready to reinstall. So of course mm -hmm. that exhibition design, design, the floor plan, all of that had been finalized. We closed this, you know, the museum. So all the kind of, installation stopped mm -hmm. and now we're talking about well we can't install in the same way anymore we yeah. have to come back to that entire floor plan and change it wow. so you know not only do we have to direct the flow of traffic but you know if you think of how museums or art galleries position information there's a lot of label content beside the artwork mm -hmm. well it's in small font, people have to approach it. If multiple people want to read it at a time, you know, you're obviously going to be stood in really close relationship with each other. So how do we change all that didactic material so that you can take in that content without necessarily having to approach it so closely? So, yeah. you know, with rethinking about didactics, we're rethinking of how that information is shared and delivered in the space. and. Yeah how we can kind of give more breathing room and um, alter perhaps where some pieces are positioned so that it doesn't get bottlenecked. Mm -hmm. um, so a complete change, really. Yeah, that's wild. Um, and <clears throat> most of it, a lot of it is kind of self-regulated, right? So like, are you going to have to hire, does that involve hiring and bringing people in to kind of like manage that flow as well? Because I imagine it's, a hard thing to do. <laughs> I think it's going to be really hard. I think we're going to work with our volunteers as much as we can, mm -hmm. um, trying to welcome our volunteers back in the space to help us. Um, financially, I don't think hiring people yeah. to do that is going to be kind of within our reach. Yeah. Um, I, I think more than anything, we have to become really good at communication, right? Yeah. Really good at communication um, up front and really good at communication and wayfinding within our space. But, um, you know, one thing for sure that we will go to is pre-selling tickets, right, to timed entry, which yeah, you hear yeah. museums globally that are doing. And luckily we've changed our systems in the last little bit that we actually have the capacity and the infrastructure to be able to do that. So I think part of it is how do we tell the story to people before they even arrive at the museum that gives them the understanding of what, the expectation on their side is. I mean, we're going to do everything possible to give the safest, securest, comfortable uh, learning experience possible as somebody comes to the museum. Um, but that's going to require a commitment on the side of the visitor as well, right? Yeah. And um, so I think communication is going to be paramount to making that happen. Yeah, that upfront piece is really interesting too, because just from my, my own personal experience, I find that. Um, generally that experience is a bit weak kind of across the board and oh it's fine that's fine <laughs> sometimes i have a doorbell going off some it's <laughs> this is the reality that we're in right now <laughs> um i was just i was just saying I, I 
that's an, the upfront communication piece is an interesting one. And how do you entice people and how do you get people, uh, how do you connect people to the exhibition before it launches? Because I find that like personally, my experience has been that, been that, that upfront communication piece is a bit weak in general across the board. And I think there's a ton of opportunity there. Um, but I guess something like this would really put the, uh, put the gas on any of that sort of thinking or planning. But that's an interesting one. I think if you guys figure that out, you will be one of the few that have figured it out. Well, I think everyone's in the same boat. Yeah. I think a lot of what's happening right now that's going to kind of pivot organizations quite significantly. So, you know, when we talk about, um, I think you just use the words, you know, the communication that helps drive people to the launch of the exhibition. Mm -hmm. But I, I think exhibitions aren't going to launch in the same way anymore. Like, right. You know, when we're opening Anna Thomas exhibition pre-COVID, it would have been a large opening on site, lots of people there, but very Toronto centric, mm -hmm. right? And we would have been really focused on the physical space and the physical act of opening the exhibition in that space. And I think right. now we have to move to figure out a way of that kind of hybrid between the physical and the digital. But there's a lot of positives that come from that too, because we have an audience that's much further afield than Toronto. And, you know, Anna Toma herself, she's an artist from New Brunswick. So how do we give that opening celebration and the life of that exhibition something um, that can reach more people in different ways? Mm -hmm. And there's a big question mark there, because I don't know how yeah. we do necessarily yeah. like we're still trying to figure that piece out yeah. but i think those are the potential benefits that come, like that will come from this once yeah. we start to live with it yeah and yeah and it's it's a good time you know it's kind of like COVID has also been you know a big equalizer across the world too right because everyone's everyone in your kind of role is thinking about this but then from the consumer base from consumer and audience side everyone is so used to now consuming content that they wouldn't normally consume online online so you also have a potential captive audience globally which is a super interesting time to be experimenting with stuff like that um yeah i think we talked about this a little bit before the last time we spoke and how it brings up a whole other range of questions around you know when and how do you launch an ex exhibition online and what happens to your hours if you're now a global if you're focusing on a global audience you could be operating kind of round the clock <laughs> yeah well we you know we started to deliver webinars and hands-on mm -hmm. kind of webinars and yeah we got interest from people in Berlin in Germany that wanted to partake but you know the comment was <laughs> we're going to be asleep at that time but that yeah. does it, it does change and and make you really think how how do you deliver in that global context for sure mm -hmm. um it's going to be challenging because there's capacity issues for sure but I guess question around you know we had a really interesting question or uh, discussion with staff today which was around kind of three words online digital and virtual and Mm. It all means slightly something you know different, but we all use them interchanged right now. Totally. Um, so yes, we're creating digital content, but how do we virtually engage with an audience? And I think that that is some of the struggle that we are really working on right now because 
digital content can feel very much one directional, right? Content that we're creating and putting out. But I think what we really want to do more fulsomely is create a virtual engagement. <laughs> yeah. And, and learning that, that is new. Yeah. It's really interesting because I think a lot of, uh, I've, well, we, we actually also recently pitched on some work that was about um, a festival. Mm-hmm. and um, it was a festival in the arts community and they're also trying to figure out the same thing it's like if we have to go online now with this festival which would have been in person h- how do we create those that back and forth communication and, and interaction and right now it's really there's nothing that uh, this might be a huge opportunity who knows but there's there's nothing right now that really meets everyone's needs in terms of like a platform where you can easily kind of host these types of events. There's a lot of different, everyone's kind of looking at different plugins right now. Like, Oh, if we want to do video streaming, then we should use Twitch or or zoom or something like that. If we want to use video, we should use YouTube. If we want to use sound, we should use SoundCloud. It's like pulling in all these different APIs um, that kind of do the job cohesively and maybe with a bit of like a cohesive branding and UX experience, it could be really good, but it's also not, it's also difficult, still very difficult to figure out like what that engagement piece is and how people can actually communicate with each other, but also with whatever it is that they're interacting with. So it, it's a huge challenge. I saw today that um, Minecraft, which is, it's like a, it's kind of, I'm not, I've never actually tried it, but it's, it's kind of like a uh, virtual world where you can build your own structures and games and everyone kind of joins this virtual world, has a little avatar. Everything's in like a block format. I have heard about it. Right. So (laughs) uh, me neither. Oh, that's funny. Um, So I read today that, um, and I don't know who's behind this, but UC Berkeley is creating a replica of the um, university in Minecraft. So using these blocks and whatever, and they're going to be hosting the graduation in Minecraft and they're also running a festival. So there's going to be all these different artists that are uh, musicians that are going to be kind of representing themselves as a whatever avatar and performing as a festival within this world. And it's probably one of the better examples that I've seen just because they're really going deep into the kind of virtual world and avatar. Yeah. It's going to, it's going to be super interesting that one. Um, But yeah, that's a tough one. Maybe there will be a bigger place for virtual reality, you know, for museums too. Yeah. Yeah. Can you step into an exhibition and experience what it's like to walk around it? Yeah. Yeah. I heard that there's a, a museum in England that has a robot that's kind of, you know, just kind of moving around the galleries and the exhibitions and you can kind of get in and see what it's seeing. Oh, I mean, really? That's kind of cool. Really extreme ways, right? Yeah. Of, uh, ah, it's so, of it's, engaging with yeah. an audience. Yeah. Super challenging because um, even just art, like without having the contextual touch and feel, well, the visual of touch and feel, um, it's hard to communicate that same kind of skill through um, through a computer. I wonder if it's going to change art formats too. If people might be getting more into kind of like the virtual art space as well. 
Absolutely. I think that's a possibility. I mean, obviously we're, we're textiles <laughs> and I, I don't think that that's ever going to go away. And I don't yeah. think that need to connect with objects is it ever going to disappear. Totally. I, I, right? You can't see the, the detail. It doesn't matter how high the resolution is that we have on our website to really see the objects. It's nothing like seeing it. Yeah, totally. Right? And um, I, I don't, I also think there's going to be a thirst see things in person because we're going to be kind of forced to live more in this digital world mm -hmm. and and so i think there's going to be this real desire to be in front of artwork yeah what do you kind of see as like this the rollout strategy for you guys as we start to loosen restrictions and do you think um these restrictions will be permanent like do you think that that is the well obviously it's the foreseeable future i don't know if it's going to be permanent forever but do you see this as a real permanent shift in terms of like your physical? Well, I think it's hard to say like, what do we for sure think is going to happen yeah. because everything is changing by the second, right? Yeah. I mean, until further notice on, on so many things, right? Um, do I think there's going to be a new normal? I do. Mm -hmm. I think there will be a shift that we won't ever come back from. And I think we still are trying to figure out exactly what that new normal <laughs> is going yeah. to be. Yeah. Um, you know, thinking through that opening is, is challenging, right? Like, I mean, I'm working on this assumption that we'll be open by August 1st. Mm -hmm. But I'm also got scenarios that we open in September and scenarios that we open in December. And, you know, because it is a moving target and yeah. because we don't know. Uh, obviously we have to get our exhibition up and that's a priority piece for us. So I think once we get the kind of green light to be able to go into the space, it's about staff and installation teams coming back on site. Yeah, that's and, other. Challenge. And then living that space together as staff as mm -hmm. well and figuring out how we navigate it and mm -hmm. how we work together is gonna be a little bit challenging. Um, there's part of me right now that thinks that, you know, our best way of reopening would be once, once we officially, you know, open that door is that we open only to members yeah. for at least a two week period. Um, one reason is because our members have been so loyal to us and we give them an opportunity to come back and then come back in a slightly controlled environment in the fact that only they know that they're coming in. Um, mm. But for the museum, it would also help us understand how we have people in the space, you know, and, and how, do, how can we let someone in where we don't have that transaction going on? There's no need for the transaction there, member. So, you know, how, how, how do we kind of work through it now that there's new people in the space and then use that to kind of guide how we kind of step forward. Yeah. But we've done floor plan models taking a bubble of the distance that you know a person would take up and kind of lay these bubbles all over the floor to see what maximum capacity would be and it's pretty amazing right like you know a theater that six seats 65 people comfortably really shouldn't have any more than nine people in it so wow holy that's wild <laughs> <laughs> but huge change. you know yeah, it's huge change. Now, if you're, you know, you go by another method and in another method, they say, well, you just sit people in every other seat because yeah. they're isolated. But how, how do you manage the movement and flow? And um, I was yeah. just about to say airlines are, you know, you're looking at the real 
the real story there. And here we also have airline industries that are saying they're going to open with a gap in between each passenger. So it's just like the ver the variability in the way people approach it is so interesting too. Um, and like the, like I said, this like self regulation aspect of it really uh, changes. I mean, it just creates so much variability in what different organizations are doing and how they treat, how seriously they're treating it as a risk. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, earlier you'd asked something about like, you know, how prescriptive I think we were going to be to visitors mm -hmm. in. And obviously we're going to have to kind of lay out that journey for them. And I think mm -hmm. that's how we'll see it. But I also think that people are going to be really respectful. I think yeah. that people are going to come back after having so much of this information come at them daily and they're going to be very, very conscious and aware. So I think we're going to have a really respectful audience that comes back in. And I would hope that um, people coming to a museum are coming because they see it as a, a safe space, as yeah. an, um, you know, a calm space, a controlled space. It's not like the textile museum had hordes of people in there at any one time. I mean, you know, we can we can handle um, a person's journey, I think, quite nicely and, mm -hmm. and give the kind of space that people need. And and I think where we can't, we'll have to give pauses and encourage people to pause on location while yeah. other people can clear the area. And I yeah. think creating those. Um, meaningful areas of rest kind of little bubbles where mm -hmm. it's a natural place for people to stop um, will be will be key to making that kind of comfort level yeah that's a great that's a great idea that's a great strategy too creates a little bit more of a mindful experience going through a museum as well versus you know all the chaos in the past when you have like hundreds of people in there and everyone's just kind of rushing around to see everything yeah, I read an article actually, it came out, there was a museum that opened in um, Germany recently. And one of the comments from the visitor was, if anything, this whole period has caused everybody to slow down, right? There's yeah. a, there is a mindfulness that For is sure. going on now. And, you know, if you're not rushing through everything, the way that you engage in the museum itself, which was slower already probably than when you engage with everything in life typically, but is slowed down again. I think there is um, a greater time to, to really enjoy and mm -hmm. to learn and to see. Yeah, it'll be really nice after, uh, I, f I feel like even the way you're describing that experience to me seems like such a pleasant uh, <laughs> kind of like, Medita almost like a meditation or a meditative experience going through a museum after being in isolation and just being bombarded with all of this like just this, all sorts of news and content from every aspect of this experience that I think uh, people would really appreciate an experience like that and I think uh, it might even change the way people want to consume content in museums. Absolutely yeah I think it will yeah. And so I, I'm curious to hear a little bit more about how um, your philosophy on how digital is going to fit in with all of this. Like, obviously, there's a lot of question marks and a lot of strategy and a lot of figuring out and probably a lot of experimentation as well, which is, I think, happening with everyone. But um, yeah, I'm just curious to hear a little bit more about what you think and, uh, and how you think 
um, the industry as a whole might change and what some of the permanent changes will be and how people are going to consume this content? Well, I think, uh, I mean, for the Textile Museum, we've been thinking certainly about digital long before this happened. Yeah. Many people have, but we've been obviously committing quite some time to thinking of what a digital strategy or digital <laughs> transformation might look like. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's accelerated that. <laughs> yeah. So what was your, what was the original reason for, because I think, you know, based on our experience, your organization is, uh, has been on the forefront in terms of digital and trying to put, put together a digital strategy and innovate and, so what was the original reason? And then how did that change after all of this? Yeah, so from digitally, the museums led, you know, long before I ever joined the museum. So, you know, we were one of the first that had the entire collection online and available online at a higher resolution. And we've done a lot of digital projects over the year. Um, I think the museum is small. It's very agile because of mm -hmm. that. Um, I think when you have a collection, you want to figure out how to get access to it. We, we don't have a space that allows us to have a permanent collection gallery out all the time. So how do you give people access to that collection, these objects that are there and trust, right? And, and um, give people that ability to see what they are mm -hmm. if you can't exhibit them all the time. So digital became a way that that was necessary. And then, then we've always pushed forward. The, we did get funding from the Canada Council to do the mm -hmm. digital kind of maturity assessment. And, you know, the rationale for that was really around efficiencies and effectiveness um, across all areas yeah. of the business. So, you know, we talk about digital from a programming point of view heavily right now because we're trying to figure out how to connect with our audience. But I think digital is much more than that. And it's about improving systems and figuring out better ways of working and figuring out more effective um internal methods yeah totally so uh and they're all integrated mm -hmm. um and and you know you talked about how systems are complicated right now and there's not one system that delivers a singular solution for maybe what we need to be doing now well i think you know because we were also early into the digital world and doing the collection online systems change and technology ages and totally. you know infrastructure fails and you have to figure out how to keep up and if you don't keep up you know all that work that you've done be behind you falls away um so sometimes becomes of, a liability even if you're not keeping up yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so part of this was to look at I guess all of those technologies that we had, how do we simplify? How do we, how do we try and get something that can do more for us instead of having quantity have quality? And yeah. Um, yeah, so I think that was kind of what led us into that. Obviously thinking about digital transformation now is, is totally changed. I mean, it really has in that, you know, when we go back to the museum, when we come at a program, because we don't really talk about our exhibitions as just exhibitions or programs, because mm -hmm. there's a lot of other pieces connected to it. I think that digital has to be a priority piece right from the get-go. But 
you know, so it's hybrid in delivery, right? How, mm -hmm. and it's digital online and digital in the space, I think. And, mm -hmm. you know, how can someone use their phone to access content if we want to limit contact within the space? So, you know, we talk about labels and things like that. Is there a way that somebody, when they enter a space, can suddenly get something on their phone that feeds more information about the exhibition? Mm -hmm. um, so that it's their own technology and they're touching their own belongings and they're not having to kind of engage with museum objects. Yeah. Physical way. Yeah, that's really, that's a good point as well. Um, <clears throat> does that you know, this long-term strategy and getting people more involved in the digital, um, does that help you as well in terms of all the potential data and how you could actually um, figure out what users are interested in, how they're experiencing the museum, what they're doing, what they're, you know, like, does that help to put some data into your overall strategy? Yeah, I think any data is beneficial to help mm -hmm. strategy um i don't think we can kind of lead by data alone but i think the yeah. data is a really key piece the museum's lacked in its quality of data i would say in the past so anything that we can do i mean you know just off the top of my head right now if there was a way of kind of recording or picking up which content people you know access more and mm -hmm. you know, where they were the most interested or where they paused the most or which content they downloaded the most um, I think that would all uh, kind of lead to changes in the way that we program and, mm -hmm. and um, design experiences design spaces yeah that's an so interesting I think one. design thinking comes into it right yeah we were um, at one point in time this is not as relevant anymore, but at one point in time we were talking uh, about, we had developed some technology for tracking people in spaces. And uh, there was a fairly large museum that was like, well, we are blind to where the traffic is within our space because it's just so big and there's so many corners and there's not much you can do in terms of embedding technology in the walls and stuff like that. And so uh, we were having a, this really interesting discussion about, um, you know, does that level of information help to create a better experience and help to redesign where you place certain pieces combined with an online experience and then building like a really robust um, you know, backend for data to be able to action on and completely change the way that you present content within a museum. It was a really interesting discussion. Obviously now there's no people going in any museum, so. <laughs> so. <laughs> it's not as relevant for the for the short term, but I think long term, it's still a really interesting piece of the puzzle. Yeah, I think it's I think it's so interesting, and I think audience journey is something that's going to be a different consideration now, right? Like, is an audience part of the journey is still what they do when they're online? So, how, how do you connect that online journey to the physical journey, right? Mm -hmm. Hopefully it is hybrid and somebody, you know, people are still coming to the museum, even if they are exploring and kind of engaging with content in that digital world. Hopefully that doesn't turn them away from coming to the physical experience. So, you know, how do you map that journey from one piece to the next and back again? Mm -hmm. 
um, obviously there's a whole other side of the digital, which is the kind of global access to the experience for people that can't travel. And, you know, for the next foreseeable future, we're going to be dealing with the local clientele. Um, I think it's going to be a long time before we see tourism come back. Um, so yeah. I think, you know, the way that we kind of market and um, engage is a different audience set than we've had historically. And mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, we've always had a local audience, but it's paired with that tourism market. Yeah. And certainly for the bigger institutions, bigger institutions that bring in the show you know, blockbuster shows. Um, I think when you're not dealing with that kind of big tourist industry, that's going to really change how a lot of big institutions go. Um, but I think it does change messaging. Yeah, it changes a lot of things. Um, I think it's a super challenging time, but it sounds really exciting as well because a lot of this is kind of completely blank slate thinking and, and strategizing and, uh, there's a lot of potential. There's a ton of potential. A lot of this, a lot of this stuff hasn't really been figured out yet, I don't think. And now we're just kind of in a scenario where that's the most logical way forward. And yeah. I think a lot of these strategies are, um, they're built for the long term as well. So it's much easier to kind of pivot when you already have the digital engagement figured out versus not having it figured out and then also having to adapt to the future. Which is, which is obviously going to become more and more um, uh, digital-based or online for experiences. So I think, um, I mean, there's so many, th this conversation will be really useful for a lot of people because you don't have to be, you know, running a museum, but if you're doing any sort of event-based business or, for instance, you know, I had a conversation with um, Mark Garner at the DYBIA and a huge part of their strategy is also events to promote the downtown young area. So they're having the exact same conversation internally. And it's like, what do we do to kind of pivot our business to an online business versus a, you know, physical promotion uh, strategy? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I, I think it's an exciting, pretty exciting time, and I think uh, I think you guys are positioned in a in a good. Yeah, position. it's good. You know, I think that obviously it's a challenging time, yeah. and obviously it's something that nobody wishes to go through. But I think if you can try and pull positive out of mm -hmm. the scenario, mm -hmm. there is it's almost like a reset, right? So I think in the you know in the news you hear a lot recovery, right? We're, we're going through these phases where mm -hmm. uh, so we can kind of recover, but recover almost feels like you're going back to the same. I think in a way we use this opportunity to rebuild, right? Restructure. Yeah, that's recreate. a great point. And um, I think it's just so important to take this time and to kind of reassess. Um, we've been talking about the museum for a while. You know, it's, it's a small operating budget. It's got you know, at limited staff size, we try to expand, the budget's always a bit challenging. You know, how do we use this opportunity to kind of right size the museum? How do we use it to, to say, this is what we're able to do, this is how we're able to do it, and how do we reach the biggest audience through mm -hmm. that? Mm -hmm. And um, I, th I think it will kind of 
you know, sometimes we overachieve, we try to do so much, you got programming and programming and programming going. <laughs> but is there a way we can do that more thoughtfully and more controlled and deliver it through more kind of multiple channels to reach broader audiences in more impactful ways, yeah. but actually slow a yeah. little bit. Yeah. And yeah. It's definitely part of the reset. Yeah, totally. I think a lot of organizations are going through that as well. It's a good time to reflect and reinvent some things. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, thank you so much. That was a great, um, that was a great discussion. I think that'll be really helpful for um, a lot of, our audience and people that we've talked to that, that are trying to figure this out across many different industries as well. Well, thank you. It was great to chat. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Thank you so much. Have an awesome day. You too. Bye. Bye.